open your Bibles to John. Let's talk. Let's go to the Scripture. I want to. I want to talk under the general theme. Uh, count me in. Count me in. Hopefully, a bit motivational. It, it, the subtitle of my session would be "Releasing the Power of Covenant Agreement." Releasing the power of covenant agreement. And let's set a biblical context for this. So let's look to, to John chapter number one. We have just finished, our group had just finished together a walk through the gospel of John. I enjoyed it so much. And uh, you, if you're into that sort of thing, you can check it out. A lot of it was videotaped. There are sessions, there are multiple speakers, there are, there's a reading plan, all of that on our website, destinyleaders.com. It's under the bigger, better, stronger tab. So if you're interested in just a personal Bible study that will lead you through the Gospel of John over about six weeks, um, then it's certainly there. If we're totally free, just help yourself if it fits your schedule and works for you. The Gospel of John, chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 43. Count me in, the power, uh, the least releasing the power of covenant agreement. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. I'm reading from the New King James Version. He wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, was, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nash and Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is a great story for any of you who've ever felt dismissed or discounted because of where you're from or what's been done to you or what you've done in your past. It was beyond Nathaniel's ability to imagine that anything good could come out of Nazareth. It's a hillbilly town in the Judean highlands. Um, it, it was not a place, there was no rabbinical school. There were no, no rabbinical authorities uh, from which an emerging rabbi could claim credential and status. There were no, it was beyond their ability to think that anything good, certainly not the Messiah, would come from Nazareth. But how many are glad that God can do what he wants to do in you no matter where you're from? No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, God can still do something wonderful in your life. Amen. Amen. And I tell you, does this, anybody in the room, it ever surprises you the people God would use? Sometimes I think God messes with us because he uses people, honestly, frankly, uses people I would not use, me included. I mean, if, if I were God, I would not have chose me to do what he chose me to do. I'm thinking half the time, 30 years in, I'm thinking, what were you thinking, God? What are you thinking? But yet God's wisdom is beyond us and his ways are beyond us. So Nathaniel responds, how could anything good come out of Nazareth? And so uh, then he says, uh, Philip says to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know that about me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know what was going on under the fig tree. But apparently something happened under the fig tree that when Jesus revealed his knowledge of it made a believer out of Nathanael instantly. A man who was skeptical went from a skeptic to an ardent believer simply based on a word of knowledge or the word 
that Jesus revealed to him about knowing him. And he says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Listen, boy, you're going to see things better than that. You ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen anything. That's my paraphrase, okay? You haven't seen anything. Because I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus uses an interesting story that was very familiar in the mind of the Jews as a matter of fact, it was a founding story. It was a story that was part of their folklore. It was a, a story that was part of their historical training. The famous story of Jacob's Ladder. And, and particularly this season of history, it was written about. It was well documented that it was a prevalent story. So Jesus says, you think that's great? Listen, if you hang around, you're going to see heaven opened. And what does he say? He says, you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's interesting. He didn't say upon the ladder. He said, you will see them ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Essentially, Jesus personalizes the ladder of Jacob's dream with himself. Essentially, what Jesus says in that moment is he said, I was the ladder. Well, let's look and see about that ladder. Will you turn back with me to the book of Genesis? And let's, as the scripture speaks to us, let's go back and uh, let it continue its, its word to us. Genesis chapter number 28. This is the story that had become so famous and was so much a part of their culture and their heritage. Jacob, you know the story of Jacob. Jacob wasn't totally, well, as a matter of fact, Jacob was from a pretty whacked out family. Can I get an amen for that? There were some real issues with Jacob and his family, and it had carried over into Jacob's life. Jacob had uh, hoodwinked his brother out of his birthright and then cheated him out of the firstborn blessing. In the process, he kind of cheated the whole family. But yet God, again in his grace, is working that into his ultimate plan of redemption. I love that about God, how even in our bad decisions, God can work them miraculously into his forward purpose for us and his plan. I just have to tell you, I found that there is nothing impossible for God. Amen. There is nothing. There is no depths that you can, there's no pit you can put yourself into that his grace and love cannot. His love can, is always better than you've ever been bad. And we see that demonstrated again and again and again in the scripture where God takes people that's like, mm, you're off my list. And God said, I just moved you to the top of the list. And it makes no sense were it not for grace. So the story goes, as the story opens in this particular chapter, is he has now stolen the double portion blessing. Esau essentially says around the campfire, soon as daddy's gone, I'm killing him. His mother hears and warns him, you need to get out. It would probably be very advisable for you to disappear for a while. And so he is now on his journey to find a bride and to uh, kind of escape from the impending threat of his brother's anger and his brother's wrath. And you understand in those days, those brothers, by the time they're this age, they're brothers. I mean, these, these people have, it's a tribe. I mean, they have people. You know what I'm saying? It's like... They have people. It's not like Esau and Jacob are going to fight. It's going to be the people. I mean, it's like 
you know, it's, it's going to be a fight. So Jacob is traveling. He travels from where they were living to a region that we're all familiar with. He called it, it's called Luz, which I guess would make you, if you're from there, a loser, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Luz. <clears throat> Anybody been from that town? <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's Snake Island might qualify. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it is... It is near Mount Moriah, if not actually Mount Moriah, and what today would be Jerusalem eventually became Jerusalem. It went to be Salem and then became Jerusalem under the Davidic monarchy. Uh, in the Hebrew, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, is God's city of peace, essentially. It's what the name Jerusalem means. And so at this point, it was not that. And we see the story open where Jacob has traveled. It's evening. He goes to sleep. And his eyes were opened in a dream. And so let's look at the dream that Jesus referenced when he encountered Nathaniel as it was recorded by the Gospel of John. Is everybody okay? Everybody all right? Okay. Verse 10. Now Jacob went from Beersheba, the land of the wells, and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. This ladder, Jesus said, is me. The ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. I think it was Spurgeon writing in his commentary about this, said that the angels were the morning and the evening shift. The morning and the evening shift. I mean, that was just pure speculation, but it sounded good to me. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Wait, wait a minute. Where's Jacob? It's not there yet. As a matter of fact, if you look when this passage or that phrase is used, Jacob has never added till after this moment. It's always the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. What, what can happen in your life that is so profound that it even changes God's identity of himself. What we're about to read is so powerful and so monumental that literally it would alter God's pronounced identity of himself. Not just would Jacob be changed, but in a sense, you understand, I'm speaking metaphorically, but in a sense, God would change his view of himself by what Jacob did this night. Somebody say the power of covenant agreement. Okay, so now some of you are thinking, I know you are absolutely straight up crazy. Well, let's see. Let's open it. (laughs) The Lord stood above it, above the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land upon which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to to the west and east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever. What an incredible promise to a wayward boy. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will be bringing you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. 
And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the very gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put his head and set it up as a pillar. Now that's actually what we call our pillows in Arkansas is a pillar. And, and, and we, <laughs> we see that there was a conversion from a stone to a pillar. And he poured oil on top of it and called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. I'm probably taking a little grammatical license. It's just fun to call it Luz instead of Luz. But anyway, uh, then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, I'm going. And will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God too. I added two for emphasis. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. I will surely give a tenth to you. So there's our, you can close your Bible, there's our biblical context. Let's talk about this a little bit. Let me first say, as leaders, and I know that the room is generally with leaders in it, people who either are actively and functioning in leadership roles, or maybe you feel a call or an interest in getting involved in this church in a deeper role. And so I welcome you all and greet you all. Let's talk about some of these things that relate to leadership. First of all, I want to tell you there is power in your will. There is power in your will. One of the gifts God gave man at creation was the ability to choose, to agree or to disagree. They're powerful. How many would agree with me based on your experience in your domestic life that agreement is better than disagreement? But both are powerful. It's one of the fundamental, uh, one of the fundamentally human, while at the same time fundamentally divine qualities that every one of us possess. Every single one in this room, God has equipped you with an ability to determine your future based on your agreement. That's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing when you think that that will, that determination, fights all kinds of obstacles and odds. Things that you've gone through, things that you have done, decisions you've made, good ones, bad ones. Uh, mistakes you've made, things that have been done to you that you had no control of, the way people have identified you or labeled you, your will is in constant opposition to the, the downward pull, the, the, the gravitational force of a fallen world that is pulling you toward the first Adam and his failure instead of the last Adam and his victory. Can I get an amen? amen? The truth is, if you're in the flesh and you have a pulse here in this room today, then you still have a flesh to contend with. And there's an, uh, there is an ally with the devil in all of us called your flesh. Amen. And we have to make a decision every day, every situation, every circumstance, every news story, every moment in our life that we're exposed to data, ex existential data, data from outside. We have to make a decision. And am I going to live like the first Adam or am I going to live like the last Adam? Am I going to walk, Paul said it this way in Romans 8, am I going to walk according to the flesh or am I going to walk according to the spirit? Yes. 
If I walk according to the flesh, what's coming to me? Enmity with God and ultimately death and destruction. If I walk according to the Spirit, what's coming to me? The power and the blessings of God's kingdom and His glory in my life. Can I get a good amen for that? It's not theological rocket science. It's a decision. And God has empowered you in every circumstance to make that decision. Every moment there's an opportunity to be offended. You have to decide, am I going to go back to Adam or am I going forward to Adam? And you have the decision to make. Every moment of gossip you hear that grieves your spirit, you have that moment. You have that decision to make. God has empowered you with a will and it is a powerful thing. And sometimes these things war and rage within us. Okay, so let's shift gears. Okay, so if you're, uh, that's enough of that for a moment. Uh, let, let's talk about energy. I don't know if there's any science, any science teachers or scientists in the room. Very good. A mechanic, that's not going to qualify. <laughs> a nurse, okay. So um, I think that'll be all right. Because if there's any scientists, I'm going to ask you to leave the room for a minute. Uh, just because I'm a layman and I'm going to describe something that's above my pay grade and, and, you know, but when there's no scientists in the room, it gets easier. I can tell you anything I want to tell you. <laughs> so in the world of energy, there are two kinds of energy. This is a layman's understanding. There is, there is potential energy and there is kinetic energy, potential energy. So I want you to understand as we kind of break this open and talk about it today that there is this vast, incredibly powerful realm of untapped energy in the universe. Okay? Uh, and you say, wow, this is, we're going to get way metaphysical and get into... New. No, no. I want you to understand all energy came from one source. When God said, let there be light, the universe that was dark and empty and dimensionless took form, shape, and meaning when God said, let there be. So you just so you understand, all matter in the universe emanates from one source, and that source is God. But in that domain, there is potential energy. This is energy in reserve, and there is kinetic energy. This is energy in motion. When energy goes from potential to kinetic, the process is called energy transfer. For this to work, you need a conductor. Uh, you need a switch, you need a valve, you need a spark. For our purpose today, you need an agreement. In other words, think about that. Locked on the other side of agreement or disagreement is this incredibly filled, incredible reservoir of untapped energy and power. And it's waiting for somebody to pull the chain, flip the switch, to strike a match. Or open the valve. This conductor or agreement produces a change and a release of energy takes place. It's basic science. We access potential energy through a portal called change. Now, I know a little bit of your story, but just for emphasis, how many have been through a lot of change in your life? Hmm. Me too. How many wish God would get it right and leave it alone? It's like, okay, I've had enough of that. Yeah. When we apply change to potential, it ignites possibilities. When we apply change to potential, it ignites possibilities or releases possibilities. Let's kind of talk through some of these uh, metaphors. Okay, so uh, when we light a campfire, we release the potential energy that's stored in the logs, waiting for a change, a spark or a match. 
If you have a fireplace in your house, you can put that log in the fireplace and it's set there till kingdom comes, until somebody puts a little kindling. My, my wife was raised in Montana and Texas, large family. They heated with wood a lot. That girl is a fire-starting phenom. I mean, we have a few fireplaces around in properties that we own and have. And I have to tell you, I can work forever. And sometimes the best I can get is just a smoldering ember and a house filled with smoke. That girl in 30 seconds can have a raging fire. And it's, it has to do with the way that it, she builds it. And I've watched and tried to learn. I just haven't been able to figure it out yet. But she can get it going. But the energy is stored in those logs. But there has to be a change. Something has got to shift from status quo to something new and fresh for that log to catch fire and begin to burn. Uh, when you buy a house, you save money for a house and you put it into an account, maybe an escrow account or a savings account, that money becomes the funding source of the transaction. But until there's a contract signed, till there is an agreement, that funding could sit there forever and not benefit the buyer. There has to be a moment where they get around the table. I've done it a few times. I'm sure you have too. And you sign your name to the agreement. And that agreement accesses that funding source. Money flows into the deal and the transaction is made. When people uh, do that, it's, it's, it's potential. It's waiting for a contract to access it. The contract becomes the access point, the valve, the door, whatever metaphorically you want to use. But it takes an application of an ignition to potential energy for it to become kinetic in its flow. I can't, ladies and gentlemen, overemphasize the importance of the nature of agreement in operating in the kingdom of God. We talk about, oh, God is so wonderful. Yes, God's grace is wonderful. God's grace. We can describe the splendor of God. We can describe his attributes and his heart and desire to do things. But there is something God has given us that's designed to be the key that you put in the door and unlock the lock that releases all that goodness of God into your life. It's called faith. The scripture says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe two things. Number one, that he is. And number two, that he is a rewarder. In other words, that he will back up his promises. How many are thankful for the promises of God today? The scripture says they are yea and amen and forever sealed in heaven. They are bound up as potential energy waiting for believers to invest their agreement and their faith and release the power of God into that circumstance and situation. I know this is not a preaching meeting, so bear with me. I will try my very best. I put my hands in my pockets. In other words, you must agree and expect. And when you agree and expect miracles begin to happen. When you agree and expect, God becomes more of an object of your, ad, more than an object of your admiration. He becomes a living, abiding presence flowing into your situation and flowing into your circumstances. Flowing into a broken relationship. Flowing into financial poverty. Flowing into children that are away from God. I mean, it, it may not happen overnight. Really, I'm not. this is not about the chronological process of the fulfillment. This is the fact that if you access God's promises by faith, setting yourself in agreement, then the release of that energy is happening whether you see it or whether you don't see it. 
So agreement believes, agreement expects, agreement acts. It believes, it goes, it gives, it loves, it obeys. It's expecting the fulfillment of the promise. Wow, so cool. But disagreement is as detrimental as agreement is powerful. I need a better amen than that because that's true right there. We can shout about agreement. But then when transition is unfolding around us and we are bound up with our preferences as opposed... You know, a lot of people worship themselves at the altar of their preferences. Their personal preferences. It's simply, just call it what it is, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. Yeah, I know God's wanting to do this, but I don't like that. So I'm going, to, I'm going to worship, and I do give you an allowance not to have to say amen to that, because I know that's a little tighter. It's like, okay, we were feeling good, but suddenly. But it's true. The, the truth is we always have to challenge our preferences versus the possibilities of God's kingdom and adjust our preferences to what God wants to do based on His will. I remember a story told about, I mean, we've all kind of been through the transition, I have, I'm sure you have, uh, through the transition of worship in the church, right? So when I was raised, we sang out of hymnals, yes. right? Everybody stand and, and uh, everybody stand and sing. Let's all look and see what that guy's going to do. I'm not sure what he's going to do. Okay. I've got it figured out. Everybody stand and let's sing first and last stanzas and, and the chorus. How many were raised that way? You know what I'm talking about? It's like we all did that, right? And, and we would sing. And, and then we began to move toward retiring the hymnals. And we went from formal Wesleyan style hymns to courses. And we began to sing off the wall. Yes, it is. <laughs> began to sing off the wall. And there's a story told about this little lady that's having a hard time making that transition. I totally understand it, but she was having a hard time making that transition. Young pastor bringing a lot of change to their church. She walked out after service one day, teeth gritted. She got him by the hand, shook his hand, said, I enjoyed your sermon, pastor, but I didn't get nothing out of that worship. <laughs> he stood there for a minute and he said, well, that's great. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be careful that we don't force God and, and contrive Him into a box that fits us but doesn't fit the moment and what God is doing in that season. You see, that's where this whole agreement thing becomes more complicated than, yeah, the promises of God are yes and amen and forever sealed in heaven. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Okay, so then we're going to adjust this and this class is going to be done away with. This class is being added. It's like, no, no. No, we go from a big yes to a no, no. Agreement believes, agreement expects the best agreement acts it goes it gives it loves it prefers God and others above personal preferences and it forces it forces my flesh to operate outside my limited perspective and to step above my perspective to God's perspective are y'all in the room with me this morning okay 
when it does, there's a release of energy from heaven. And there's something more, there's something, but, but I feel like a pitch man. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Wait, it gets better. <laughs> Here's something really important about agreement. When power is unleashed, the energy is multiplied when it's organized. I said, when power is unleashed, energy is multiplied when it is organized. Sometimes people will enter agreement. It's just like, I, I just love to do my own thing. I, I know there's this vision the church has. I know there's this vision for the leadership team. And, man, I'm all for that. But, you know, I just don't fit into that organized stuff. I kind of like to just do my own thing. And, and a lot of times what churches have is isolated thunderstorms when God wants to create a hurricane. <laughs> Anybody ever know Christians that were just looking for somebody's parade to rain on? That was interesting. I, in preparation for this, I studied hurricanes a bit and Hurricanes form when clusters of thunderstorms begin to organize around a common point. They feed off each other in a common source like warm tropical oceans. They begin to move in the same direction with the same purpose. And they share a common center called the eye. And for our session this morning, I'm going to call the eye agreement. Those thunderstorms that are isolated, a measure of power but not nearly as powerful, have accessed a little energy, but not really organized themselves to this huge release of energy when they begin to move in the same direction, feed off the same source, and form an eye wall, it begins to multiply the impact of that agreement. Did you know the average Cat 3 storm releases the same amount of energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs? 10,000 nuclear bombs that's about 200 times the energy capacity of all the generating power on the planet about 200 times think about that a minute. about 200 times the generating power capacity on the planet one category three storm and it, it, it magnifies exponentially as you go up categories so a category five storm is catastrophic but that's the kind of power. The storm doesn't create the energy. It doesn't. The energy is already existing in the universe, in the matter. All it does is get organized. And as it gets organized, it begins to access through that eye wall or agreement, that sense of agreement. It begins to access energy that's already there. Can I tell you, everything that God wants to do in this church that you're going to need is already in the universe, waiting for a group of believers to align themselves, move in the same direction, feed off the same source, and create a level of agreement that has previously not existed. When that level of agreement comes, it's automatic, and it multiplies exponentially the power that could be released. When you agree with God and other believers, amazing things begin to happen. Energy that was always there is suddenly accessed, and the world around us changes. In this world today, I believe at least in part, the spirit of Antichrist that has been here since the beginning, according to the scripture, the spirit of Antichrist is at least in this day manifested in a spirit of division. 
I believe that. I think the enemy's intent is to divide people and label them. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Because it neutralizes the power that people can have when they unite. When we unite and we operate in unison, it, it releases incredible energy that the enemy has no antidote for, frankly. Did you know unity is one of the spiritual principles that the enemy has no antidote for? If you see unity in operation, there's always in a demonic attempt to divide and to bring disunity and to attack and cause people to move away from each other, to bring offense, to bring uh, misunderstanding, to bring disagreement, whatever the, excuse me, the case may be. The enemy's desire is to do that because he understands the power and how beautiful and pleasant it is for brethren and sisters to dwell together in unity. Unity is something we must pursue. It's something that we must work toward. Paul said that in Ephesians. Doesn't he tell us that? That we have the same mind and the same spirit that we, we talk about the Ephesians 4 and the fivefold ministries, but that, that chapter is not about the fivefold ministries. It's about walking together in unity and the job of the fivefold ministries is to bring unity in the body till we all come to the unity of the faith right to the full and perfect stature of the image of Jesus Christ resurrected that's God's ultimate goal for the church and not just this church every church is that we carry the unity of love and, and fellowship with one another. We don't have to agree on everything to be unified. We can agree around certain core realities of who I am today. It's not who Adam called me. Who I am today is who Jesus made me. Hallelujah. And if we live in the flesh and we're constantly allowing people to label us based on our pre-salvation reality, we will be drawn back into the futility and fallenness of that Adam. If we stand out of that and say, my identity is I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. I am Christ in the world. All of us are. All of us are part of his Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. He died for us so that we could live as him in the world. As he is, so are we in the world. I'm not, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying I'm Christ. I'm not saying you're Christ. I mean, collectively, we make up the body of Christ in the world. And our job is to do what Jesus would do. And that's to bring healing, hope, and help to a hurting world. I need a good amen for that. Amen. amen. So, when, yeah, so when we agree with one another, we release things in motion that exist. One of the reasons I know this is true is because God was uh, called, and I, I'll finish here pretty quickly, that God is called a God of covenant. A God of covenant. Anybody say, hey, we're serving a covenant-keeping God. Covenant -keeping God. Amen. It's, it's part of the nature of God. If we look at the Scripture, they're all over the Scripture. First, we see with Adam and Eve what we call the Adamic covenant, the covenant God made with Adam. And then we see later the Noahic covenant, right? God made a covenant with everyone who were major players in the Old Testament were in relationship with God through an agreement, through covenant. We could talk about the Davidic covenant. We could talk about the Mosaic covenant that God gave Moses, the, 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 that the Jews essentially stand in today. That Mosaic covenant, the, the Torah, the, the priesthood, and all the things that God, the tabernacle that God gave on Mount Sinai after Israel had left Egypt and, and they had had 400 years to get Egypt in them. And God could have led them. It's a 13-J journey or so from Egypt into the promised land. But God knew that it was going to take longer than that to get Egypt out of them, right? Yeah. 
And so, uh, you know, what, three months or so, um, something like that, that they left Egypt. They arrived at the base of Mount Sinai and spent 11 months there at the base of the mountain as God gave the Mosaic Covenant. And we uh, are all, most of us are familiar with that at some level. So God is a God of covenants. Why? Because he understands transactionally that agreement releases his kingdom power. That agreement. And God is looking for someone who will agree with him. God's covenant, the covenant of God opens windows of access into heaven's energy. And and I think you've gotten that. Uh, So some of us have to decide that we're tired of being outside of covenant. I believe that you can, to some degree, at least you can be saved and love the Lord, but not living the full potential of God's covenant agreement in your life. And maybe today is a day where you say, okay, I get it. Count me in. Count me in. Uh, Our grandson, uh, one of them, uh, Jonah, is an athlete. He's little, kind of small for his age. Noah is his older brother in our son's family. And the very first sentence, he's been competitive since he was born. The first sentence I heard him string together. You know, they do the mama, da-da thing. And then how many remember back when your children first said something that was more than just a syllable and kind of put it together? It's like a major breakthrough. It's like, okay, the light bulb, uh, you know, the printing press. My son put two words together. You know, it's like really epic when that happens. And so the very first phrase I heard Jonah string together is, me too, my turn. (laughs) Literally. Literally. Me too, my turn. I mean, and he has lived out that statement. He has lived out that sentiment since that day. Me too, my turn. I think some of us need to say, I'm tired of being victimized by what life has done to me. I'm tired of being out of place by bad decisions or misunderstanding, it's time for me to align myself with the covenant of God and set myself in agreement with the people of God and determine that I'm going to do that come hell or high water, as we used to say when I was a kid. That doesn't matter what the enemy throws. doesn't matter how he tries to send a fence my way. I have decided. I think that's what Joshua meant when he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do that. And we say, me too, my turn. Enough waiting, enough looking into the over Jordan stormy banks, into the promise. It's time to experience the milk and the honey and the promises of God. But what's waiting, what's happening is I'm agreeing finally. And yes, it may, it may involve a miraculous crossing of the water. It may be, and God may do it the way that he did it when Israel walked into the promised land. It was different from the Red Sea party. God doesn't always do it the same way. How many remember the Red Sea, right? God blew. The scripture says he blew the wind from his nostrils and just blew a hole in that water, dried up the mud. That's a storm, y'all. That's a serious storm. Instantaneously. But if you study what happened at Jericho's crossing, it wasn't that way at all. There was no wind. God shut the water off like a valve. And he did it 19 miles upstream. Now you think about that for a moment. If you've ever been around a river or that something that had a dam perhaps or was controlled, we have in our city a a hydroelectric dam and they can shut the water off at the gates and it takes 
for the water to drop, level to drop, four miles downstream takes about two hours. <laughs> God stopped the water in a city called Adam. And, and yeah, that's cool. <laughs> God stopped the water at a city called Adam, 19 miles upstream from the plains of Moab where the children of Israel were going to cross. It probably took six or seven hours for the water level to change where the priests were standing in the water. Wouldn't you have liked to have been Joshua? On your horse or whatever you're riding, telling everybody God's going to do. And the only frame of reference they have is a windstorm that parted the water instantly and dried the mud. That's what you expect. It's like, and the priests step into the water, Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Joshua has told them God's spoken to him, and they're all standing in the water. 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, five hours, no, no, that was probably one of Joshua's most difficult days. So God doesn't always do it the same way. Now, when the water level begins to change, it happens fast. But it sometimes it's hours. They were standing in the waters of a miracle and didn't know it. So trust your agreement because you're not trusting the power of positive thinking, but because you're trusting the God that's put his name. It's not a promise you made to yourself. It's a promise he made to you. So you can trust the God of the promise, even though you don't see an immediate manifestation of what you expect to see. Stand in God. If you die standing in the water, I would rather die standing in the water trusting God than to back out and say, well, we're going to have to change our theological books. Write some new theology. Can I get an amen? amen. Somebody say, count me, in. count me in. Me too, my turn. Okay, so let's shift gears one last time and let's look at this story. A few principles, let me give them uh, to you quickly. Uh, a covenant power that's released requires two steps. Number one, you need revelation and you need action. In other words, it really begins with what you believe and then is followed by what you do, where you discipline your actions to align themselves to the agreement that's been made. How do we see that in Jacob's life? Well, Jacob needed a revelation of how God's, God's kingdom worked and how covenant worked. Remember, God had made this promise to Abraham. Did you know it was almost 135 or so years before heaven opened and Jacob saw it? Isn't it cool what God was saying as he stood over the ladder? Did you know what he was saying? The same thing he said to his granddad. God's saying the same thing. 130 years later, God is still standing over the promise. Saying the almost, not exactly verbatim, but in essence, the same thing that he said. Jacob needed to learn something from that. He, God revealed to him that covenant agreement creates a connection between heaven and earth. In other words, the ladder represents the covenant. The angels ascending and descending are heaven's firepower. I'll get to that in a moment. Heaven's firepower producing the promise that God has spoken. God in this picture is standing over the promise 140 years. Can I tell you, oh, we serve a God who don't change his mind with the latest rendering from the news. Are y'all in the room with me? 
God's not worried about who's in Hollywood or who's on Wall Street or who's in Washington. When God makes his word a promise, he stands over. The scripture says he watches over his word to perform it. And we get a picture of that in this passage that God is standing 130 years later still watching. He said, I made the promise to your dad. I made the promise to your granddad. And he's still saying the same thing. Thing, ladies and gentlemen, uh, over a hundred years later, when God makes a promise that's from God legitimately, he doesn't change his mind and you can take it to the bank. It is going to happen. may not happen the way we thought it would, may not happen when we thought it would, and we may have to understand and discern that, but the word of God is true. It's, it's going to happen. Jacob needed a revelation that when he agreed, it opened heaven and there was a connection between heaven and earth every time. Number two, in covenant, we see that God commands the blessing. That God commands the blessing. Instead of you hoping things work out and you trying to manipulate the situation to make it work out as you want to, we see that when you're acting on behalf of a promise from God, it's God's responsibility to bring the promise to pass. Jacob didn't know that. He always tried to do it himself. His daddy had made that mistake. His granddad had made that mistake. And God is revealing in this dream Jacob, I want you to understand the power of covenant and how it works. And that if you'll set yourself in agreement, what does God say when Jacob wakes up? What does he say in the dream? He says, I'll be with you. I'll go with you. I'll bless you wherever you are. I'll bring you back in peace. In other words, I'll take care of producing the promise if you will set yourself in agreement. When God commands the blessing, you can't help but be blessed. Number three, in covenant, we see, and I mentioned this, that angels are heaven's firepower and are assigned by God to make stuff work the way God wants it to work. I know he can work by his Holy Spirit, certainly, but he also uses angels. They're all over the Scripture. If you study the Scripture, they're there. We see them in the life of Jesus. We see them in the life of Moses. We see them, the Scripture says that in Hebrews, it tells us that part of the way that Moses got the covenant is it was appointed and delivered through an angel. Then we see that Jesus was ministered to in Gethsemane by angels. Angels are that unseen realm, those beings that are in subordination to God, and they only do the will of God. They are only doing the will. People say, well, they're designed to do what I want. No, they are, the writer says, are angels not ministering spirits sent forth to minister on behalf of the heirs of salvation? But the idea is, the, the rhetorical idea is it's according to the will of God. Yes, amen. Amen. All right, now let me wrap it up with Jacob's response. So Jacob needed a revelation, and then he responded. What did he do? Number one, he recognized the place as the house of God. He recognized the place as the house of God. I think it's very powerful when a leadership team comes together and we say that God is doing something very special here among us. That this has become the house of God for us. Uh, We need to find our Bethel. I believe that you're here today because you've said, look, return church is where God's planted me and where God's placed me. And can I tell you, when you set yourself in agreement in a place like that and you recognize the place, heaven can open for you in that space. You can be saved other places, you can be blessed other places, but then I believe there is that special open heaven place for you that would be characterized in this particular story, as Jacob said, the house of God. Paul said it this way. He said, I don't consider myself to have apprehended, 
But he said, I am pressing toward the mark of the high calling. That, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. You have a that that Christ Jesus had in mind when he laid hold of you. We all do. And I think often the that is associated with a special place where God says, I've opened heaven over your life there. The second thing that Jacob did is he consecrated the moment and the place. And this is an important idea. I want to just sow it into your spirit. Before God anointed Jacob, Jacob anointed the place. And I think that's an important leadership word for us. I understand that there is a general anointing that we all live and walk in as Christians and believers. I, I get that, and I totally agree with that. I do believe there is a, a, a prevalent blessing that we live in once we accept Jesus and our life is transformed. But then I believe that there is that moment where we anoint a place and make a monument out of a moment that God releases an increased level of anointing in our life. I believe that. I've experienced that in my own life. I don't have time to go into that, but I, I think that's something that we should put in our spirit. Uh, what I'm trying to say is we don't want to be part of a consumer leadership Christian ministry type thing where the only reason I'm part of the team is what I can get out of it or what they can do for me. I have to assign myself and say, God put me here. Heaven is open here over me. I'm trusting God here. I anoint this place. I set it apart. It is sanctified. Not the building is holy. The people are holy. But I set apart this space where God has placed me and I make a monument out of that moment. That's what Jacob did. And then finally or thirdly, he made a vow. He made an agreement. And that's what we've been talking about. He said, count me in. He essentially said, God, I don't want it just to be you to be the God of my father Abraham or the God of Isaac. I want you to be my God too. And the very next thing we see in the, the next passage of Scripture that this phrase is used, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, is in Exodus chapter 3. And after this encounter, God says it this way to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And from that point on, every time that phrase is used in the scripture, it includes all three. That's what I meant about how powerful is it? This is a story. Why would Jesus mention it? Because it was such a powerful example of how you can be added to God's plan and God's purpose. Nathaniel, let me tell you, you think just because I had a word of knowledge for you that bore witness with your spirit or attested true to what you've done, you think that's something? Listen, you're going to see greater things than that. And you're going to see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to experience that, Nathaniel, if you'll add your name to the list. And, of course, we know that Nathaniel did and became one of the 12 apostles. And then finally and fourthly, <laughs> I love this. Jacob paid his tithe. Look at your neighbor and say, Jacob paid his tithe. You know, as leaders in, in, in a house like this, it's important that we understand the power of financial support. It, it can change you. You can be the very same person and do all these things, but withhold your, your finance from God because you can't trust him with your finance. And there be a major shift in your life once you take that step of faith and begin to say, God, I can trust you with everything, including my money. I know that's a sensitive subject. 
And I know everyone has perhaps a different view of it. But can I challenge you today? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 that where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Yeah. Jesus understood there was an aligning that takes place when you align your possibilities and your dreams with your finance that incredible things happen. Tithing is about one thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's about the primacy of God in your life. It's about God's first. Can I tell you that God is first whether you put Him first or not? <laughs> your acknowledging God with your finance doesn't change the order of God's existence in the universe. He is already first. But when you acknowledge that firstness, which is all your tithe does, when you acknowledge the firstness of God in your life, the, the scripture is replete with promises and things that will flow into your life. Because God understands the power. Did you know money is the, that I've discovered money is the only thing that will masquerade itself as God in your life? Jesus said it this way, you can't serve God and mammon. It wasn't that you can't have money is that you can't allow money to have you. You know one of the most powerful things that I've found that tithing does? Tithing humbles money. It humbles it. That's what it does. You can look at your bank account and say, well, I got X amount, I got $100,000, but I hadn't tithed on it. Well, I believe that the tithe of that 100000 is the first, everybody say first, first. the first 10000 and when I enforce that on that money, it shuts money's mouth. And it tells the money that there is something in my life more powerful than you. You tell me you can get stuff for me. You tell me you can protect me. You tell me you can do all these things for me. Let me show you. Let me take that first 10,000 and just put it into the kingdom of God. Now God says... He'll take care of me and he'll be my security and he'll be my hope. When you tithe, you humble money because money will talk to you. It will talk to you. And if you want to shut it up, then just be faithful with your tithe. That's one of the powerful things that tithing does. There was something that happened. Jacob said, okay, God, you're going to be my God. I'll see how it works. And God, if you'll do this and do that and all that you promised, then you'll be my God. I'm going to make a vow. And oh, oh, by the way, if you do this, God, and we're in covenant from this day forward, every increase in my life, I will pay my tithe and a tenth will come to you. God said, I'm adding your name to the list. And it changed Jacob forever. And God was in that context forever identified from that point on as not just a two-generational God, but a three-generational God when Jacob got the revelation of that. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for your word today. Thank you for this beautiful church, God, and their trust to allow me to just share these ideas and principles. I pray, Lord, wherever I've lacked or wherever I've fallen short, that by your Holy Spirit you will finish the work, bring clarity and understanding, Lord, and let everything that I've said be aligned or adjusted, used or cast out in accordance with only that which is pleasing in your sight. And then use it, God, in this moment we've shared together as a leadership team. Use it, Lord, as a propellant. God, let there be people in this room that will say at a higher, deeper level, count me in. Me too, my turn. Let them see and experience the power of covenant agreement and the beauty when the people of God unify, begin to move in the same direction, feed off the same source, and allow agreement to bring unity we thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. 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 God bless you, Pastor. Amen.